Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. Everything's running smoothly. Yo, yo, yo! Yo! What is going on? My name's Hartzell, and this right here, it's your KC Mo. What's the word, Kansas City? A happy Tuesday to the KC Morning Hoes. Tuesdays, you know what we do. It's me, it's you, it's Professor Harvey K. We take back America. That's right. We reclaim that radical history of America. And today, because last week went so well, we did some poetry last week. We broke down some Langston Hughes. The great Langston Hughes was last week. Freedom's Plow. This week, we moved to Archibald McLeish. And America was Promises. One of my absolute favorites. I love that we're doing this. Even more next week. Rate, review, subscribe. Do that thing you do, Kansas City. Back in your feeds tomorrow. We'll see you in the morning. Bye. January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Citians must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. Professor Harvey K. My brother! Oh, that was fine. That was just fine. I was worried about squeaking. No, we are good to go because that man across the line, he is the Professor Emeritus at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. And every Tuesday on this Tracy Morning Show, we take back America. We reclaim that radical history of America. I am rejuvenated by the radical spirits of my comrade, Harvey J.K., it is fantastic to see you, Hartz. By the way, everyone, we're doing this by Zoom, okay? So I get to see the handsome Hartzell, who has some new opportunities on the near horizon. Should we hold on to that for a while? We'll just say it's good news. I feel like every time I talk to you, I have some sort of news. <laughs> this is good news, but we, we won't announce it just yet. Let's say this. It is heading in the right radical direction. Yeah, and just for the record, in case any of you want to... No, Hartzell is not pregnant. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> no, not okay. yet. We haven't got that down yet. <laughs> Professor Harvey K., you look good. You got a fresh haircut as we take back America. We're going to get into some poetry because it went over very well last week. So oh, a quick did? spoiler, okay. it, went, it went well, my friend. People loved it. So we're going to do that again. I want to say something about the poetry. There are three great poets of the 1930s. It's Langston Hughes, who we've dealt with couple of times before, probably our favorite. Then there's Carl Sandburg, remarkable figure, wrote biography, multi-volume biography of Lincoln, in addition to all the poetry he wrote. We will get to Sandburg soon, I hope. But then there's this other fellow who is, in his day, was maybe the most famous 
of the three that we're going to have dealt with, but I think forgotten today, at least in the kinds of conversations we were usually having. Maybe because his name, Archibald, right? <laughs> Archibald MacLeish. And MacLeish did some really great work back in the 40s and beyond. It's worth noting that he was born in 1892 in Illinois and raised in Illinois, and he went off to Yale University. And is an interesting guy if you consider the fact that at Yale, he both played football and edited the literary magazine, which is a little unusual, I think. I don't think there's any of those folks around today. I don't think when Aaron Rodgers went to Berkeley, he edited anything, <laughs> just for the record. And then he went into the military service and he served in the artillery during World War I. And to make it even more curious, in the midst of the war, in like 1917, he actually published his first poem. And thus began a kind of career in poetry and, and in letters, you'd say, sort of in writing. And then, like many intellectuals who served in World War I for the United States, he didn't come back to the States right away. He stayed on in Europe. And many of them, of course, settled in Paris. The circles were, you know, writers, composers. Aaron Copeland was in Paris during the 20s. Hemingway was there for a while. I mean, they were all there mostly because they were looking for a new start, a new meaning, new inspiration. By the end of the 20s, most of them had come back to the States, and that included MacLeish. And MacLeish, during the 1930s, in fact, was very active as a poet, won a couple of Pulitzers, I believe. But the other thing about it is, to show you the, the stature he came to have in American letters as a speaker and a writer and a poet, is that in 1939... Franklin Roosevelt named him to be the Librarian of Congress, which was a, that's a major position and one that in many ways, a recognition of someone being important in the arts and letters in the United States. But this poem itself was written, let's check, it published in 39. So it's around the time he became the Librarian of Congress. Even before the war began, he served as the director of the Office of Facts and Figures, which sounds strange, but it's like an, it was like a, a war information office. And in fact, by the end of the year, it was renamed, this would have been in 40, 41, it was renamed the Office of War Information, OWI, which he led for about a year. And then he served in the State Department during World War II. And after the war, went into academia and eventually became the chairholder of this major professorship at Harvard University. It was called the Boylston Professorship in Rhetoric and Discourse, something like that. And he passed away in 1982, as we talked before, very close to his 90th birthday. But the poem we're going to do is America was promises, not America is promises. It was America was promises. And what he meant is that those who came or even brought to America, obviously, this is at a time in which people were not as they should have been attending to the question of race and civil rights and Jim Crow South and all of that. Though Archibald MacLeish himself did actually do a book of photograph and text to try to address the question of class and race in the South. I have the book here somewhere, but it doesn't pay for me to pick it up because nobody can see it except you and me. But the idea was that America was promises that whoever came of their own volition, you might say, or even if they came as an indentured servant, that there was this notion that America was promises. But he says the problem is that people came to see that promise, not like the promise of a fairy tale, as if it was inevitable. It would come by itself. The promise would just reveal itself. And he says, that's just not true. He said, the promise, whoever interpreted it, should have realized the promise had to be made by men and women. And as people will notice along the way, he mentions Jefferson, he mentions Adams, and he mentions Paine, each of them having a different notion of the promise. 
And ultimately, he's thinking about fascism in Europe and the power of capital in the United States and the threat, you might say, that the promise itself would be taken over by those who could care less about sharing it. Ultimately, he warns people, people will hear at the end of the poem what he recommends, you might say, that you have to take the promise and make the promise. We're going to try and rotate back and forth as we always do between Hartzell and myself. Some of these stanzas are quite long and some are quite short. Stick with us. It's not a terribly long poem, but if you listen carefully, we'll try our best to articulate it properly. But we're not poets, so we may slip up every so often. Well, let's have at it, Hartzell. How about that? Well, before we do that, when we have these poets that we talk to, I haven't asked you how you first stumbled upon these folks. So how'd you first meet Archibald McLeish? Thank you for asking, actually. So I'll remind everyone that I wrote a book 2014 titled The Fight for the Four Freedoms, What Made FDR and the Greatest Generation Truly Great. It was not a book about the war, as Tom Brokaw told it. It was a book about a president and a generation and how in the 1930s, especially, you get this democratic surge of working people, black, white, brown, and that these surges were both inspired by and inspired the president and intellectuals. And in fact, one of the things about the 1930s in the arts and ideas from history to poetry, painting, and so on, people were rediscovering America, but not the America of the elites. They were rediscovering the America of the people. In fact, I mentioned Carl Sandburg before. He wrote a, a book-length poem, The People, Yes, which Tom Frank later, more recently, responded to in terms of what we've lost these many decades in this class war from above. He said, the people know, meaning that it's how they're screwing us from the top down. Having said that, so Keogos Langston Hughes and Archibald McLeish, Carl Sandburg, earlier than this, but they really came back to me in the 30s because they were part of this rediscovery. And by the way, the idea was on the part of these poets and other intellectuals and historians and working people was to take back America. That was the idea. To hell with these capitalists who had led us into the Great Depression. To hell with these capitalists whose politicians, the Republicans, were basically managing affairs in favor of capitalists. And now was the time of FDR and the New Deal. And this was the time in which they were going to radically transform America. And that radical transformation involved a change in understanding what America, what the American promise was really about and what they needed to do to lay claim to it. And that's what you and I have been doing, and which is why, of course, these poets speak to us, I believe. And with that, Professor Harvey K., shall we jump right in? You take it away. Who is the voyager in these leaves? Who is the traveler in this journey? Deciphers the revolving night, receives the signal from the light returning. America was promises to whom? East were the dead kings and the remembered sepulchers. West was the grass, the groves of the oaks were at evening. Eastward are the nights where we have slept. And we move on. We move down. With the first light, we push forward. We descend from the past as a wandering people, from mountains. We cross into the day to be discovered. The dead are left where they fall, at dark, at night, late, under the coverlets. We mark the place with the shape of our teeth on our fingers. The room is left as it was, the love. Who is the traveler in these leaves? These annual waters and besides the doors, John kills. 
then the rose, the eaves. Heaping the thunder up, the mornings opening on like great valleys. Never till now approached, the familiar trees far off, distant with the future. The holy hawks beyond the afternoons, the butterflies over the ripening fruit on the balconies. And all beautiful, all before us. America was always promises. From the first voyage and the first ship, there were promises. The tropic bird which does not sleep at sea. The great mass of dark, heavy clouds, which is a sign. The drizzle of rain without wind, which is a sure sign. The whale, which is an indication. The stick appearing to be carved with iron. The stalk loaded with roseberries. And all these signs were from the west. And all night heard birds passing. Who is the voyager on these coasts? Who is the traveler in these waters? Expects the future as a shore. Foresees like Indies to the west the ending. He, the rumor of the surf, intends. America was promises. To whom? Jefferson knew. Declared it before God and before history. Declares it still in the remembering tomb. The promises were man's. The land was his. Man endowed by his creator. Earnest in love. Perfectible by reason. Just in perceiving justice. His natural nature. Clear and sweet. It was man. The promises contemplated. The times had chosen man. No other. Bloom on his face of every future. Brother of stars and all of travelers. Brother of time and of all mysteries. Brother of grass also. Of fruit trees. It was man who had been promised, who should have. Man was to ride from the tidewater over the gap, west and south with the water, taking the book with him, taking the wheat seed, corn seed, pip of apple, building liberty farmyard wide, breeding for useful labor, for good looks, for husbandry, humanity, for pride, practicing self-respect and common decency. And man turned into man in Philadelphia, practicing prudence on a long-term lease, building liberty to fit the parlor, bread for crystal on the front room shelves, just and perceiving justice by the dollar, patriotic with the bonds at par, and their children's children brag of their deeds for the colonies. Man rode up from the tidewater, over the gap, turned into men, turned into two-day settlers, Lawyers with the land grants in their caps, coonskin voters wanting theirs and getting it, turned the promises to capital, invested it. America was promises, the wheel like a sun as big as a cartwheel, with many sorts of pictures on it, the whole of fine gold, 20 golden ducks, beautifully worked and very natural looking, and some like dogs of the kind they keep. And they waved us west from the dunes. They cried out, Kalua, Mexico. Kalua, America was promises to whom? Old man Adams knew. He told us an aristocracy of compound interest, hereditary through the common stock. We'd have one sure before the mayor was older. The first want of every man was his dinner. The second, his girl. Kings were by the pocket. Made wealth, made blood, made wealthy. Enlightened selfishness gave lasting light. Winners bred grandsons. Losers only bread. And the aristocracy of politic selfishness brought the land up, brought the towns, the sites, the goods, the government, the people, bled them, sold them, kept their profit, lost itself. 
The aristocracy of wealth and talents turned its talents into wealth and lost them. Turned enlightened selfishness to wealth. Turned self-interest into bank books. Balanced them. Bred out. Bred to fools. To hostlers. Card shops. Well-dressed women. Dance floor doublers. The aristocracy of wealth and talents sold its talents. Bought the public notice. Drank in public. Went to bed in public. Patronized the arts in public. Palled with public authors. Public beauties. Posed in public postures for the public page. The aristocracy of wealth and talents withered of talent and ashamed of wealth. Bred to sons-in-law. Insane relations. Girls with open secrets. Sailors. Galahads. Prurient virgins with the tales to tell. Women with dead wombs and living wishes. The aristocracy of wealth and talents moved out, settled on the continent, sat beside the water at Rapallo, died in a rented house, unwept, unhonored. And the child says, I see the lightning on you. The weed between the railroad tracks, tasting of sweat, tasting of poverty, the bitter and pure taste where the hawk hovers, native as the deer bone in the sand. Oh, my America, for whom? For whom the promises? For whom the river? It flows west. Look at the ripple of it. The grass, so that it was wonderful to see. And the endless, without end, with wind, wonderful. The great lakes. Landless as oceans. Their beaches, coarse sand. Clean gravel. Pebbles. Their bluffs smelling of sunflowers, smelling of surf, of fresh water, of wildflowers, wilderness. For whom the evening mountains on the sky, the night wind from the west, the moon descending. Tom Paine knew. Tom Paine knew the people. The promises were spoken to the people. History was voyages toward the people. Americas were landfalls of the people. Stars and expectations were signals of the people. Whatever was truly built, the people had built it. Whatever was taken down, they had taken down. Whatever was worn, they had worn. Axe handles, fiddle bows, sills of doorways, names for children, for mountains. Whatever was long forgotten, they had forgotten. Fame of the great, names of the rich, and their mottos. The people had the promises. They'd keep them. They waited their time in the world. They had wise sayings. They counted out their time by day to day. They counted it out day after day into history. They had time and to spare in the spill of their big fists. They had all the time there was like a handful of wheat seed. When the time came, they would speak and the rest would listen. And the time came and the people did not speak. The time came. The time comes. The speakers come and these who speak are not the people. These who speak with gun stocks at the doors. These the coarse ambitious priests leads by the bloody fingers forward. These who reach with stiffened arm to touch what none who took dared touch before. These who touch the truth are not the people. These, the savage fables of the time, lick at the fingers as a bitch will wake at morning. These who teach the lie are not people. The time came, the time comes. Comes? And to whom? To these. Was it for these the surf was secret on the newfound shore? Was it for these the branch was on the water? These whom all the years were toward, the golden images, the clouds, the mountains? Never before, never in any summer, never were days so generous, stars so mild, 
even in old men's talk or in books or remembering far back in a gone childhood or farther still to the light where Homer wanders, the air all lucid with the solemn blue, that hills take at the distance beyond change, that time takes also at the distances. Never were there promises as now. Never were there promises as now. Never was green deeper, earth warmer, light more beautiful to see, the sound of water lovelier, the many forms of leaves, stones, clouds, Beast, shadows, clearer, more admirable, or the faces more like answering faces, or the hands quicker, more brotherly, the aching tastes of time, more salt upon the tongue, more human, never in any summer, and to whom? At dusk, by streetlights, in the rooms we ask this. We do not ask for truth now from John Adams. We do not ask for tongues from Thomas Jefferson. We do not ask for justice from Tom Paine. We ask for answers. And there is an answer. And I want to tell everyone, he's now referring to fascism in Europe and Japanese militarism in Asia. He says, there is Spain, Austria, Poland, China, Bohemia. There are dead men in the pits in all those countries. Their mouths are silent, but they speak. They say the promises are theirs who take them. Listen, brothers, generation, listen, you have heard these words, believe it, believe the promises are theirs who take them, believe unless we take them for ourselves, others will take them for the use of others. Believe unless we take them for ourselves, all of us, one here, another there, men, not man, people, not the people, hands, mouths, arms eyes, not syllables. Believe, unless we take them for ourselves, others will take them, not for us, for others. Believe. Believe, unless we take them for ourselves now, soon, by the clock, before tomorrow, others will take them, not for now, for longer. Listen, brothers, generation, companions of leaves, of the sun, of the slow evenings, companions of the many days, of all of them, listen, believe the speaking dead, believe the journey is our journey. Oh, believe the signals were to us, the signs, the birds by night, the breaking surf. Believe America is promises to take. America is promises to us to take them brutally with love, but take them. Oh, believe this. So you see, he ends on that idea that if the people don't make history, others will make it for them. And in the process, the people will be crushed. So it's imperative that the people begin to make history, which actually might be a good way to segue. Yeah, next time we'll do, we'll do one poem by Carl Sandburg, at least. Love it. The one called I Am the People, The Mob. That's what we'll do next. That's a hell of a segue. America was promises. It's our promise to go take hold of as we take back this radical history. My brother, Harvey K., where can folks find you on Twitter? Harvey J.K., H-A-R-V-E-Y-J-K-A-Y-E. And where can they find you, Hartzell? They can get me at Hartzell965 and this show, the KC Morning Show, at the KC Morning Show. KC Morning Show everywhere else. You can't see me right now, can you? 
Did your lights just go out? What's happening right yeah, now? Yeah, they did. They <laughs> <laughs> Holly must be hearing us. Did Josh Holly hear this? Uh oh, Holly is after us. You're right. <laughs> Professor Harvey K, I love you, brother. We're going to chat next week in solidarity. You bet. Love you. I'm going to go look for some lights. <laughs> if you need a friend, don't look to a stranger. You know in the end, I'll always be there. When you're in danger, take a look all around, and I'll be there. I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking of the right words to say. I promise. I know they don't sound the way I planned them to be. I but if you wait around a while, I'll make you fall for me.